We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome. So my name is Lisa Schmucky. I'm the founder of EdWeb and really happy to introduce today's program on artificial intelligence in schools, allow or prohibit ethical considerations for educators. I'm delighted to be the host today because I went to the Kemp Place School. So Dr. Galambos, it's just wonderful to have you as the head of school on my past school. Um, and Dr. Rizak, we didn't know each other when I was there, but you've, you have been a long time administrator in the school, in the middle school, and also starting the ethics program. It's been delightful to meet you and Ariel as the assistant director of the program. And Dr. Potts, great to have you here as an expert on artificial intelligence and what's happening in this realm. So welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. So Dr. Rizak, it is just wonderful to get to meet you as the director of the Ethics Institute at Kemp Place. I learned about it first by coming back to a class reunion and you gave a presentation on the program. I think that might've been five years ago and I just thought Kemp Place was so ahead of its time then, but I have learned that you started the Ethics Institute 16 years ago. So you were really, really ahead of your time. Can you wanna tell everybody a little bit about your background and then introduce our other presenters for today? Well, thank you very much, Lisa, and it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here. So yes, I started at Kent Place actually 23 years ago. I came on board as the director of the middle school and over the course of those years, founded the Ethics Institute when I realized that students were kind of losing sight of who they were as people. I think they were measuring who they were or their success rate or whatever the case may be by what they did as opposed to who they are. So ethics is the vehicle through which we help people to discover their authentic selves and also learn how to think and be ethical and productive members of our world or society, not only in the classroom, but throughout their community. I think this was probably informed. I'm also an Episcopal priest, which has nothing to do with my role here at Kemp Place. Um, and I am very, very grateful to Kemp Place for the opportunity to develop this Ethics Institute. And so today's discussion I think is very special because though everyone is talking about ChatGPT and artificial intelligence, bringing together a, a school leader, um, an ethicist, and an expert in artificial intelligence and technology, I think perhaps will bring uh, a new and deeper lens to this conversation. So I'm joined today by um, Leader, Dr. Jennifer Galambos. Thank you. I'm in my sixth year as the head of school at Kent Place um, and have been involved in schools for over 30 years. And I have to say that when I was looking to become a head of school and when I interviewed at Kent Place in the fall of 2016, which if you remember back was a fraught time in this country um, with a very politically divided election, uh, I was incredibly drawn by uh, Kent Place's uh, Ethics Institute and the idea that we could buck the trend that um, people cannot have civil discourse in this country. And I think that it, um, it enables us to have co consequential conversations without fighting in a way that is deeply powerful and, um, and a deep part of our culture. 
And I'll just jump in and just say I had an opportunity to observe your preparation for the Ethics Bowl recently and to see how you were working with students to be able to argue the different sides of an issue and be prepared for that was so impressive. Thank you. So we're also joined today by the Assistant Director of the Ethics Institute and an ethicist and philosopher, Ms. Arielle Sykes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of this conversation. When it jumped on our radar early before Christmas holiday break, we knew it was going to be the next hot thing in education. And I'm glad that we've had the opportunity at our school to dive into some really difficult and important conversations with our students and our faculty and our families. And I really appreciate the opportunity to take my 15 years of experience in leading philosophical conversations with children to elaborate on that more here at Kent Place. Thanks. And certainly last but not least, Dr. Colin Potts, who is with us today to explain really more about artificial intelligence. So Dr. Potts. Thank you. And thanks to the, the Ethics Institute and Kent Place School and AV Web for, for all having me here. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. So I'm a postdoc at North Carolina State University. I kind of have a, a dual role at the school. I'm an AI researcher. I focus mainly on text, natural language generation. So very similar to the kind of the, that chat GPT realm. And I also work with narratology and, and games. Um, and then the other side of the, the work that I do at NC State is that I also help teach in the Senior Design Center. So all of the computer science seniors have to do kind of projects as they are about to graduate. And I help supervise all of those teams. Thank you, Doc. Everyone, I'm going to drop off and enjoy the show, but I'll stay in the chat and moderate and collect questions and come back for your Q&A. Thanks, Lisa. Just uh, quickly, a word about the Ethics Institute at Kent Place School. Our mission I, is unique because what we do is we don't just teach about ethics and philosophy. We teach a process and a practice of making ethical decisions. Um, in, in every area and arena of life, which we've mentioned. And we're going to share that practice and process with you today so that you can apply it in your school. And the other part of the mission that's equally important is that uh, what we do with ethics involves all the constituents in a school community. So as we've said, we work with parents, with teachers, with staff members, with the students, with everyone who really has impact in a student's life. And so today also we'll talk about artificial intelligence as it relates to those many stakeholders. We at the Ethics Institute, we offer a variety of programs for um, uh, parents, students. We do training of how to make this practice a reality in your own school. Uh, we do many, many partnerships and collaborations with outside entities because again, it goes back to that community issue that it's not just what happens in the school, but it happens outside of the school and in a student's life. So we hope that one day we'll be able to bring our practice to your school or to your realm of, of where you may be. So let's get started. A few weeks ago, maybe I guess earlier in the winter, I think everyone in school communities was absolutely rocked with the news of and the emergency, uh, uh, the emergence of chat GPT, that students could just type in a prompt and lo and behold, a beautiful essay would emerge. And this, I think, 
unlike many other trends in education, has really prompted a very, very significant shift in what we think about education, what it means not only for students, but also for educators in how we teach, in what we teach, and maybe even in how teaching and learning are defined. I know that, as Jennifer mentioned earlier, I mean, some schools, some educators, some communities decided to shut it down right away, seeing the use of artificial intelligence as cheating. But others viewed artificial intelligence as a more efficient way of working, especially if it's the adults in the community. So the question, the initial question was, do we run from it or do we embrace it? But we think that this whole conversation about artificial intelligence involves much, much more. And so how do we look at it through the lens of a school leader, through the lens of an ethicist? But most importantly, and we're going to start off, what exactly is artificial intelligence and how does it how will it show up in schools? And for that, I want to ask and direct um, that question to Dr. Potts. So for all of us who perhaps are not, you know, technologically savvy, what exactly is artificial intelligence? And what is the significance of artificial intelligence for us who are in the school world? Thank you. So I want to kind of start by talking about what the difference is between a normal computer program kind of what we've been, been used to using for some time and what, a, what would make a program qualify as being AI or artificial intelligence. So I think one of the, the important things to understand is that a, a normal program, someone has, has devised some process that given an exact input, it's gonna give you a particular output. Like you have Word or email where you type something, you send it off and all the formatting kind of works nicely for you. So artificial intelligence is a little bit different. So those programs, instead of telling them exactly how to do something, we more devise a computational model where we describe to it kind of what the problem is and what is the space in which it can look around and try to find an answer. So then with artificial intelligence, we're actually expecting the computational model to produce the answer instead of giving it the answer and how, how to compute. So the other thing I want to say is that AI is a, so it's a tool in a lot of senses. It's something that we can use to accomplish a task and we expect it to be intelligent. Um, we can come back to what intelligent might mean in this context in a little bit. Uh, but in particular, I think uh, that I should also clarify that AI is a very broad and ubiquitous thing. So ChatGPT is something that we call machine learning, which is probably one of the, the buzzwords that you might hear, or deep learning, which means it's a, a large neural network. So, but that's only one particular subfield of AI. It's certainly one of the more popular ones now, but it also includes things like logical representations, um, planning algorithms, scheduling algorithms, and, and a number of other cases. Really, any time that you try to take a, a more typical computer program and try to actually allow it to produce answers on its own and to be able to think about the problem. So I'm sure that artificial intelligence did not, or you know, did the emergence of ChatGPT was not the first time that artificial intelligence appeared in school settings. Um, can you tell us or think about 
ways that artificial intelligence really impact us on a daily basis already without maybe or even knowing that artificial intelligence is, is what's already in use. And that chat GPT was not the first time that it showed up in our school classrooms or, or in our school hallways. Yeah, I think that AI is perhaps much more ubiquitous than, than most of us realize. For instance, anytime you do a credit card application, often those are handled initially by a machine learning algorithm that makes the decision yes or no. Eventually, it might get to a person who makes the final decision, but a lot of these things are pre-filtered out. When you're submitting a resume to a large company, all of those resumes are being fed into large AI models that are helping make hiring decisions. So really, many aspects of our lives already are deeply involved with AI. Even in particular within, within schools, it's also been there for a while. You just don't always necessarily realize that it's AI. For instance, a lot of the plagiarism checking tools that some of you may be familiar with are based on AI models. That it's not just a database where it's looking up, uh, is this exactly there, but the AI tools help kind of match and determine what the percentage of overlap might be between two documents. And in particular, I should say, in computer science, we've kind of had this chat GPT problem a little bit longer, perhaps, than some other people, because over a year ago, a program called GitHub Copilot was released, which essentially, when a student is writing code, it does the exact same that chat GPT does. It helps fill out the code. So if they wrote a comment that says, I'm going to build a web page to do X, Y, and Z, it was already filling in all of that code for them and allowing them to kind of not have to write as much. So it's kind of a, a problem that we certainly in uh, computer science education have been dealing with for a little while now. You know, you raise an interesting issue. You <laughs> talked about, um, you know, some of the apps that teachers have used for years to detect plagiarism. And, you know, for some in uh, some teachers or some educators believe that ChatGPT is a little bit different from plagiarism because you're not actually copying anything from someone else. Um, but yet, is it plagiarism because it's, or, or is it cheating because it's not actually your work, though maybe it's still your original idea that you put into the chat GPT? So, you know, there seems to be a little bit of gray area around whether or not we consider the use of artificial intelligence as cheating or as plagiarism in the same way as plagiarism used to be, which would be to just take something that someone else has written and make it my own. I think that's a good point. I know in, in computer science education, plagiarism has always been kind of a, a, a sticky issue because one of the very kind of frequent things that we do is we share a lot of code snippets online, that, that we have a very vibrant community. And when you're working on a particular problem, one of the first places you go, for instance, is a website called Stack Overflow, where people are sharing snippets of code. They're talking about their problem, how that might be related to someone else's problem. And so this idea of sharing code has been something that's very common for what we're doing. And so then kind of moving into these tools, that sure, are you actually, it's not necessarily that you're copying something because there's this thing now called prompt engineering where you have to actually give ChatGPT or these other tools the appropriate prompt. You have to have enough understanding of the problem to be able to communicate with the tool so they can generate what you want. And then in particular, there's also the follow-up of you have to understand 
whether or not it's giving you an appropriate answer. Because a lot of the times it will, that it's quite good at producing answers, but not always. And so if you don't have the knowledge to be able to determine between th those two cases, you're, it's not going to be an effective tool for you. So Jennifer, um, uh, I mean, Dr. Colombo's Dr. Potts raises a really interesting, mm -hmm. some very, very important concepts when it comes to schools and what education is about, talking about knowledge, talking about creating character in mm -hmm. students in terms of honesty and integrity. So what do you think are some of the main considerations around artificial intelligence as a school leader? Maybe what are some of the conversations that mm -hmm. heads of school and superintendents and mm -hmm. principals of schools are having around this topic? It's interesting. I have found that um, the conversation varies dramatically. Um, often people initially focus on the quasi-plagiarism aspect that can be exhibited by using ChatGPT without looking at the deeper um, questions about where is this heading, where is AI heading, what skills do our children and students need to thrive in the mid twenty, um, you know, the mid twenty first century, and how do we utilize tools as opposed to starting out by just shutting down tools? So all of those questions and conversations. I actually received the first, my first article on ChatGPT from a parent in our community who is involved in the computer science field. Um, and cautioning me not to look at it just from a negative. Um, because initially there were conversations, well, isn't this a, a violation of our honor code? And how could a student use ChatGPT and have it be their own work? And to be honest, we're, we're still working through some of those issues. But first, we needed to really step back before we stepped forward and under, better understand, play with ChatGPT ourselves, better understand it. I know my first prompt was I entered a prompt asking it to write a 250-word letter to a parent community in an independent school, uh, wishing them a happy new year and thanking them for their support of our mission and so forth. It wrote me in three seconds a, a quite good 250-word um, letter uh, that unfortunately also used the year 2018 instead of 2023. So there were certainly some inaccuracies, but that just utilizing it, how might I as an educator you interface with ChatGPT was very illuminating because there's no question that it um, takes you from point A to point D much more quickly than we are accustomed to. And so what are the good parts of that? What are the not so good parts about that? And we needed to really consider who all the stakeholders would be in this conversation, students, um, parents, uh, educators, certainly teachers, and to better understand how it works initially. So, Ms. Sykes, as an ethicist, I mean, um, you know, so uh, what Dr. Galambo is talking about is utility, right? And this is a person who has a lot of things to do. And so do you think it would have been unethical with those few tweaks, like not 2018, 2022 at the time? Um, what do you think would be an ethical question if you, as a, a, a member of this community, received a letter from the head of school that you later found out? was not an original work, but something that was AI generated, would you have an ethical issue with that? That's a really interesting question because we know that it actually happened at a school 
in response to a school shooting. So a university president wrote a letter prompted by ChatGPT, sent it out to the community about how they value life and safety. And the response, once it was disclosed that it was generated by ChatGPT, was outrage, moral outrage, because it was not taking the issue of a school shooting seriously enough to spend time mulling over and contemplating the harms and the lives lost to generate a message that spoke to the school community. So they saw that it didn't represent care. And so I think when we talk about whether we should use ChatGPT to generate letters, we have to think about not just broad sweeping yes or no, but the contextual differences. Mm -hmm. So a letter wishing someone a happy new year is something that, you know, I write thank you notes and they're generally all the same with a little bit of tweaks. Is that any different than having ChatGPT write a New Year's letter? I think that's very different significantly mm-hmm. in terms of the level of care and need that needs to be expressed in those letters versus a letter about a school shooting. Mm-hmm. And so, but I also think that it raises this question of, well, are there equivalents that we already use? So if Dr. Galambos already has somebody who writes drafts of her letters, is using ChatGPT any different? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's not that different, but then you have to think about the human impact. If she's no longer hiring the person to write her letters, how does that impact the person who is relying on that as part of their income? And so I think it gets messy because of the human factor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that right there is certainly an unintended consequence Mm -hmm. of utilizing ChatGPT for things like writing a letter, thank you letter, whatever, that that person down the road is no longer going to. The utility of that person will no longer be needed. So, um, okay. So thinking again about the factors that need to be taken into Mm -hmm. consideration, you here at Chem Place, we had to think about how are we going to develop a policy around artificial intelligence? And so how did you think about that? Where did you begin? So one of the beautiful things about having an ethics institute at Kent Place is that we bring our most challenging dilemmas to the ethics institute um, because it always means that we step back before we step forward and we consider all sides and we consider all of the information. And so the first thing that we really did was begin to play with it and encourage our faculty to begin to play with it. There was a faculty meeting at each divisional level, um, introducing it and encouraging people to, to try it out and use it to better understand how it works. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first step in this ethical decision-making method is to study and understand the situation, which does involve the stakeholders. And as you just said, you ask the faculty to play with it and Mm -hmm. to use it and to think about it. Um, I know that we've heard from teachers about AI use in the classroom as one of the primary stakeholders. So what did you learn from the the teachers? I know, Ariel, that you actually ran a couple of sessions with the teachers around the ethical use of AI. Yeah, so even though we had sent ahead of time, hey, check out these articles and these videos explaining how ChatGPT can be used in different disciplines, we really realized in our first session that the teachers needed time to play with it. They needed to understand the tool. And so it was not productive to jump into, is this a violation of the honor code? How could you use this in their classrooms until they had time to play around with it and be in awe and shock and then to work through and model kind of what we would want the student them Mm -hmm. to be viewing with their students, which is to be critical of the product that it's producing. Right. And so to not take everything at face value. Um, 
a lot of the teachers were interested in thinking about this question of when does the work that is produced by chat GPT or other AI, the work of the person who is putting their name on it. And so is it, is it okay to use it in drafting an idea? Mm-hmm. Is it okay to use it as an outlining tool? Is it okay to use it as a way of um, working through problem sets in math class? Or if you're really stuck on a problem in your engineering class and you can't get past it, like, is it okay for that little small problem you have and then to move on and do the rest of the work yourself? Um, Or should you be going to websites or asking your teacher? And is it okay to use it as an editing tool? So there there was questions about when should ChatGPT or AI tools be used? And then they were also asking, well, we were talking a lot about students, but what about us adults? Like, can I use it to write a letter to my parent community or my advisory parents about, you know, I'm concerned about your student and I don't have time to write all these emails. Like, or we have comments at our school where there are narratives about specific students. Like, can we use it for drafting narratives? Mm -hmm. And there we had to talk about and unpack this idea of care and how using ChatGPT and AI can be a dehumanizing experience. It makes you disconnected from others and how you need to be careful about when and how you use it. So with this um, study and understanding the situation and the stakeholders, so clearly you prioritize the teachers first. You wanted to know from their professional perspective what their thoughts were and their thoughts about use. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also, though, recognizing that um, as the adults in the community, we needed to understand what it was in order to begin to have an understanding of how we would move forward, either allowing it or not allowing it. Mm-hmm. And were there any particular values mm-hmm. or any particular issues that came up that really rose to the top for you in terms of thinking about what would be right for the entire school community? I think for top of mind would be honesty and integrity. We are a school that places a very high um, regard on our honor code and, and we ask students every year to follow our honor code. And so really looking at, um, at it from the lens of, is it a violation of integrity? Is it a violation of honesty? Is it a violation of trust in the classroom? And, um, and so, uh, we needed to begin to unpack some of that. And I'll tell you that I think we're still looking at, at, at some of those, um, some of those questions. Mm-hmm. So um, using values as a way to really think about what the most important issues are, of course, is is excellent. Were there any central values at play that, um, Ariel, that you have heard from the teachers when it comes? You've mentioned honesty and integrity. Mm-hmm. They were really interested in accountability, both for themselves and for their students. And so... Um, how are we going to know what happens when you use it and it's incorrect? Um, how do you know it's incorrect? So they were really leaning into like, we want more information mm-hmm. because if you're going to hold me accountable, um, if I'm using the tool to write an email and it's not correct, like, am I going to be the one that gets in trouble when mm-hmm. it lands poorly on the recipient? Um, how are we going to hold students accountable? And there was conversations about equity and access there. So is there any difference between a student who uses an AI tool because they don't have access to a tutor versus a student who does have access to a, mm-hmm. a tutor every day after school? And so they were wondering whether we should be differentiating the tool based on our different learning needs. Um, and they were also worried about 
I mean, their integrity as a teacher, like this fear of like technology is going to replace us. Mm. Um, if AI can teach this better than I can teach it, if it can support each learner in their own path through like a learning progression system, like why am I needed? So there was fear there. And there was also that fear of like, are you going to tell me I have to throw out all of my curriculum mm -hmm. and I have to start all over? And so there was a lot of anxiety that we had to work through. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned um, when we're talking about the values that are involved on all sides about equity and justice issues. And I know that one of the things that was discussed here at the school are, are actually who creates the artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was probably one of my um, best student conversations was I was talking to a, a student who's been heavily involved in our computer science and engineering department. And she was cautioning me that we have to be very careful of the bias that can be written into code with AI. And, um, and you know, how does that seep into the work that, uh, that a program like ChatGPT or really any artificial intelligence can produce? And that was something that I had not thought a lot about in my initial inquiries. Um, and I think is something that is really emerging as it is, it is created. Um, there is someone who codes mm -hmm. at some point um, the program. And, uh, and how, how does that um, affect the work that is produced? Mm -hmm. So Dr. Potts, perhaps you can comment on the actual designing of AI tools and whether you know issues of bias are are as significant as we perhaps uh, think that they are or believe that they are in terms of uh, who's developing the artificial intelligence that will be utilized in the school. So bias can be introduced into an AI model in essentially two different ways. One is what you were talking about is that the person that is actually writing the code could be in an inadvertently introducing their own bias. Even that side gets a little bit more complicated because almost all pieces of software nowadays are written by many different people. And so it, there's a team of people at OpenAI that have created this, but they are using libraries developed by people at other companies. And those libraries are using code written at even other companies. So there's multiple layers of biases that could be in there. It would be very difficult for anyone to figure out, even if they were, were trying to. And the other um, very important piece of bias that can be introduced into these systems is actually comes from the training data that they are given. So all of these models are trained on large corpuses of text. The internet is kind of the easiest way to get that. Um, and these are massive corpuses. So we're talking about not just the entirety of Wikipedia, but the entirety of the internet almost used to train these models. And so when you train a model on a data set, it is going to learn the biases that are inherent in that data set. So if the internet is biased, which I think we would all agree it probably is, then the outputs of the model are also going to be biased. Now, I will give some credit to like the researchers at OpenAI that that's one of the major things that they've been trying to address is the validity and the bias of the outputs. But that is still, that's inherent in that underlying data set and even then, when they are trying to correct that bias, they have to be dealing with their own personal biases. The entire way, for instance, that ChatGPT was trained was this idea of they had real people acting as ChatGPT originally, and they taught the computer essentially to be able to mimic what a human would be doing, giving responses. So then you have the bias, even on top of the data set and on top of the programmers, you have the bias of the people that they chose to be answering those questions. 
And even the specific format of that conversation is going to be biased to the particular way and that they imagine those conversations should be taking place. I'd like to go. Yeah. So I think that raises um, a related value, which comes from bioethics, which is non-maleficence doing no harm. So if we acknowledge that AI is going to be biased and we don't want bias because that's something that's unethical, then we have to figure out how to untrain the AI from being biased. But then you add the humans that are training it to be unbiased who are themselves biased. But the mechanisms in which we train AI, and Colin, maybe you can add more onto this, can be unethical in itself. So outsourcing to another country, not paying their workers well, having them be filters for data sets that the AI is using to say like, this bucket is so violent that we don't want you to replicate any sort of content from this bucket in a chat GPT conversation because it would do harm to the user reading it because it's taking all the content from the internet, which has some very harmful things in it. That still has to be trained by people. So those people are being put in a position to look at horrible content in order to create the training sets and the models that train the AI. And so while there's harm on the output and how it's being used, we can think about how it can be used to replicate misinformation because it's biased, because it's using things from the internet that are not true. But we can also think about how the creation of the tool in order to create the output itself is harming individuals and humans. I think that's the third time we've talked about an unintended consequence to human beings through the use of, um, of artificial intelligence, which I think is a really relevant and important, um, you know, ethical concept, because we do talk about through the lens of consequentialism, taking a look at what we do and deciding if it's ethical based on the outcome. And so thinking about the unintended consequence to we, the human race, I think is, is a really important mm -hmm. one to consider. So just to, um, we think in this process also about the right versus right. That's how we define an ethical dilemma. And we do that really by talking about the values that perhaps are in conflict with each other. And we've already talked about privacy, accountability, honesty, integrity, efficiency, We've talked about some, some of the bigger um, ethical or philosophical frameworks like consequentialism, care ethics, uh, utilitarianism. We've been talking about the utility of artificial intelligence. And should we use artificial intelligence? Because maybe the person who can't afford the tutor can afford to be tutored by some bot somewhere. So there are lots of ethical considerations. And I'm wondering, um, Ms. Sykes, if you can speak to what, what are really the ethical considerations that we as educators, if we were to pinpoint a few really essential ones that we as educators should be um, considering and thinking about. So I think the first thing to think about is um, avoiding jumping to a conclusion. Right, so you have your immediate reaction, and we work with this with all of our constituents at the school with our ethical decision making, which is like, don't jump to your conclusion until you've thought through the scenario from all perspectives. So you might be inclined to say, we're gonna ban AI from our school. Okay, all AI, really? 
think about the different ways in which AI can be used or are currently being used that you might not be aware of at your school. So what is it the AI that you're really talking about, right? So it's fine to eventually arrive at a blanket statement that said that's informed based on your values and stakeholder perspectives that say we are not going to use AI at our school for these reasons because it's not mission aligned, et cetera. But before you get there, think about how you might be a little more nuanced in your answer to that mm -hmm. question. How might you use AI in certain contexts? So all AI is created by companies for a particular purpose. And those purposes can be ethical or malefic, like they could be harmful. And so are you using the AI as it was intended? And were those intentions good intentions? And are you seeing those good intentions being replicated in your community? And think about what the needs of your community are. So I think of AI as being used, you can think about it as AI in my classroom for teaching and learning. How can it support my teachers? How can it support my students? And we can think about how AI can be unethical in those spaces or beneficial for mm -hmm. particular values like access and accessibility and promoting the next generation of informed citizens, mm -hmm. right? So we might be, we're already using grammar tools and plagiarism checks. So maybe you're not really banning all AI, you're already using some of them in your classroom. But are you willing to go so far as to say, I will use AI to help me grade? I don't know. Or if you're teaching online, are you gonna use AI to manage your discussion platforms? Because those can be very overwhelming as an online teacher when you have many students talking. Um, are you gonna let AI help you generate lessons? Are you comfortable with AI being used to generate content for students? Are you encouraging it to be in, implemented as part of a lesson where you're asking students to use it? Then you can think of AI as a management and data support system. So AI is already being used by schools to help with transportation models, to get school buses to where they need to go, figure out what drivers need to be scheduled when. That's efficient and helpful. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should be using it. You can think about how AI is already being used to help um, flag problematic searches in school communities to help ensure safety, especially in the wake of school shootings and our um, mental health crisis, where we can flag people who need interventions mm -hmm. from our uh, mental health services. So maybe that's okay based on the value of safety and community. Um, but then you have the conflict there of like, are you fringing on privacy, right? Do you want to extend the use of AI and data management to allow student teachers to analyze how students are doing on a, a lesson so it can say, so just so you know, teacher, 10% of your students didn't understand this concept, you might want to reteach it. Is it helpful for a teacher to have that as a support? Or in providing that support, are you taking something away from the teacher that is essential and non-tangible? Like there's something about understanding how my class is doing that if it's relegated to a bot, that I lose that, for me, it's always that human-human connection. So to what point are you using it as a support to help you do your job as an educator or a school leader or as a parent? And at what point are you replacing yourself mm -hmm. in the process? So you raise some really uh, important issues and values, and these you know, around our school are the values that we always and frequently talk about. And we can see, again, that so many of the values come into play when we're talking about the use of artificial intelligence. But the other thing that I heard loud and clear, and I'd love to get your perspective, Dr. Galambos, we're thinking about the AI as it relates to the different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talk about and we value so much as educators 
is that we have to model mm -hmm. for our students. And so some of what Ms. Sykes just talked about was the adults' use of AI in the right. school, administrators, staff, teachers. So how could you balance that, you know, you know, we're going to use AI as the adult in the school. We're going to use AI to have a more efficient school. Um, but what are we teaching our students mm -hmm. in the meantime? So do is that one of the considerations that you have? That is there a line? And actually, I think we heard a staff member say yesterday, right. you're going to develop a policy for the students. Right. Are you going to develop a policy for yeah. the adults? And so how do you balance that need for both? while also having we the adults be the models for the students in the school. Yeah, I think that so much of what, Ariel, what you touched on in terms of um, what is the goal? What is the, what is the product that one is looking to create? And so for me with students, I think that AI and should be over time a game changer in some ways to, for the education field. And, and um, advances, technological advances, uh, industrial advances over the time since education was founded, um, you know, in in the uh, has existed. Um, we've we've utilized so many tools that we didn't use, you know, thirty to forty years ago. And so to just shut it out, I think, is is not the right thing. Um, and it harks back to me what happened when Wikipedia was first. Um, on the on the market, and initially schools were like, "No, you may not use Wikipedia." We all use Wikipedia um, <laughs> now, and we we've become better consumers of technology. And so, with AI, I think we need to understand that it will have an impact on schools, um, and it should have an impact on schools. We have to figure out what that impact is going to be and where it's going to be prevalent. So to me, it's not appropriate to say adults can use it, um, but students should never use it, right? We need to become educated consumers of AI, um, and that's important for our students even more than it's important for us, actually. Mm -hmm. So you raise an interesting point. Um, you know, education is not just about teaching about subjects or things. It's about developing, you know, um, character. It's about all of that. Character is probably an, an overused term now. But, you know, so you, you just talked about awareness. Mm -hmm. So this school, and I'm sure other schools, really focus on developing leadership and ethical leadership skills. Mm -hmm. So do you see... Um, those skills, or do, do you see that we need to be talking about something different because the landscape is changing? Like, should self-awareness and self-regulation take the place of saying, no, this is cheating and this is not cheating? Because the talking about self-regulation and self-awareness is, is a lot more gray than saying you have a duty to not cheat, you have a duty to always be honest. I would say that probably self-regulation and teaching young people from a very young age how to self-regulate um, is probably one of the most 
uh, important skills that we teach now in this day and age. And we know what happens when we don't teach self-regulation, right? We did not do a very good job in this country about teaching about um, some of the real downsides of social media. And part of that was that adults were far less versed in social media than young people were who, who adapted it very, very quickly. And what we've seen is now we're going back and trying to teach self-regulation in a way that we did not over the last 15 years very effectively. And uh, that's another part of our Ethics Institute and teaching digital citizenship. Um, but I think that really we should use that lesson to help guide us in the future, that it is not successful to just say, uh, to either say nothing or um, to leave young people up to their own accord to try to, to learn self-regulation skills. That has to be part of our curriculum now. Mm -hmm. So how do we talk about self-regulation maybe in terms of autonomy or some of the other um, skills that we try to ethical skills? Yeah, so this was actually part of our rollout of thinking about AI at our school, where we met with a middle school um, cohort and talked about how the process in which they complete an assignment. So to help develop the metacognitive skills of saying, okay, first I do this, and then I'm thinking about this, so that they're they're able to disassociate with the I must produce an A plus product and think about the different steps that they go about producing that product and how that process itself is meaningful because I think that's part of what needs to be important about self-regulations. It's just not the output, but it's also the process. And so part of those um, lessons with our middle school cohort was talking about at what point in their completion of assignment do they get stuck or do they get distracted? Where do they lack that self-regulation to complete the assignment? And sometimes it's just that they didn't understand the materials that they can't complete the assignment. So they identified the ways in which there are barriers to completing an assignment. And then we asked, where do those barriers come from? And what do you do when you hit that barrier? What do you do when you don't understand something? Do you go to a teacher? Do you go to a friend? Do you go to Wikipedia? Do you go to ChatGPT? What do you do when your friends are all on social media and your phone is blowing up? What do you do when you're in a loud space and you need a quiet space? And so we talked about those barriers and the strategies they currently use in order to figure out what our students at Kent Place need in terms of developing self-regulation around those particular interventions. And we actually found that our students said that they are more likely to rely on technology, though they aren't really using AI in terms of ChatGPT, they are using things to help them with their writing. Um, when they um, don't understand something from class, when they um, need a good summary, a quick summary of something because they're feeling crunched on time and when they need to edit something that they're writing, whether it's like, mm -hmm. is this a good paraphrase or does this make sense? Mm -hmm. And so um, we know that then those are the spaces in which we need to be very explicit about how AI can be helpful and the limitations of using AI and why it might be actually more helpful to go to the writing center or why it might be more helpful to spend time during conference talking to your teacher. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I can't help also but think about the one, um, the one value of authenticity. And we emphasize so much authenticity. At the beginning of this program, I talked about the, the founding of the Ethics Institute based on the need for students to find their authentic selves and to embrace their authentic selves for who they are, not for what they produce. 
And to me, one of the central ethical issues or questions or challenges is, are we losing our own authentic mm-hmm. selves in the process of becoming dependent, so, so dependent on going to an artificial and something, uh, uh, something that's not human mm-hmm. or something that's not ourselves? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. And that, in the end, factored heavily into our initial policy around using ChatGPT at Kemp Place. And um, we felt it was important for our students to hear from academic leadership once we had um, gone through the ethical decision-making process. And in fact, for us, um, we have determined that right now our protocol is that students can only use a a program such as ChatGPT um, with the express permission of a teacher. Um, and whenever they do use it, they need to cite its use. Um, and to not do so would be considered um, not their authentic work. Um, and so uh, that was important to us in the end, also not to define it narrowly as ChatGPT or a program similar to ChatGPT, but rather to begin to think broadly about artificial intelligence in general. Well, I think that the beauty of engaging in ethical conversations at the school level with any member of the school community is that it allows you to learn to be comfortable in the unknown and the uncertainty and that there are multiple answers, right? And so if you're willing to struggle through a difficult decision and really take the time to think carefully, then you're going to be more likely to think carefully about a problem that you have without jumping to technology as your aid first. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us at Kent Place, it's being comfortable in the uncomfortable, embracing the disagreement and the challenges, and that sometimes you walk away with more questions than you had to begin Mm -hmm. with. And that if you can get kids and adults excited about that and invested in that, then I think that you're also going to be less likely to have ChatGPT and other AI taking over everything. You know, you mentioned uncertainty, and there is a lot of uncertainty uh, around this issue. And the uncertainty is, you know, what are we going to lose? Mm-hmm. What are the trade-offs? If this, then that. And I, I'd love to know um, from you, Dr. Potts, looking into the future, what do you think we need to be aware of with regard to trade-offs when making decisions about if and how to bring AI into schools? I think there's, I guess, two perspectives that I would consider about this. One is when you're considering bringing in a tool, you should be considering what the tool was designed for. So ChatGPT was designed for more, I guess, business use, for more, not for educational purposes. It's not necessarily designed to help teach someone versus there are many educational tools out there. There are lots of, for instance, educational AI researchers who develop tools and the goal of the tool is to interact with the student and help them to actually learn a concept. So when you're considering which tools and how to use them, I think that's one of the important things to consider is what is the actual purpose of the tool? The other thing that I think also I should mention is you want to also be careful which tools you're using because all of these tools are collecting all of the data that you submit to them. Mm. So any information that you put into ChatGTP, for instance, it now has. 
And if you look through their like licensing policies, almost all services like that say, you give us data, we can use that data in the future. Um, particularly, you can look, look at your interactions. And if you aren't satisfied with an answer and you keep prompting the model to, to iterate until you're satisfied with the answer, they can use that to train a new model in the future. And so you should be thinking very carefully about when and how you are sharing your students' data or your own data for that instance with these services, because they all are going to collect it. And you have to think whether or not that's something that you're okay with as well. Mm -hmm. Big trade-offs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm aware that we only have about seven minutes left. I don't know if there are any questions that um, anyone who is um, joining us today would like to ask. This has been such an incredible discussion. And I will tell you, the chat has just been incredible. Colin, you may have been able to see some of that while you've been on. I know uh, as panelists, um, Dr. Rizak, Dr. Columbus, and uh, Ariel, I think you haven't been able to look at that. But, you know, it's really given me an idea. Um, there are so many questions here. We might want to follow up with a published Q&A to address some of the things here. And we could write a pretty amazing article. I think you all could address many of these. There are so many questions um, and, and thoughts and, and issues raised here. So if you're open to that, that might be something we could follow up with or even have another session when we could address some of the specific questions that have been asked. And I think that would be great. I mean, I can look in here and just, you know, there are a, a couple of them. I mean, you know, what, there, there are a couple of different points of view being expressed. I mean, one is, um, as expressed by um, John, you know, why is it mankind pushes back for new technology? AI is just another tool like a calculator, a cell phone, or a laptop. So, you know, that that that's one point, you know, being raised here. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts about how AI is similar or different from other tools that have been created along the way. I think it is similar in a number of ways to a calculator or, you know, suddenly you didn't have to do all of the manual calculations, um, but you also, and you need to ask the calculator to do the right function. So in that regard, I think that a, a program like ChatGPT is not all that different um, from, uh, from some of its um, earlier iterations. I would say that what it really calls into question is um, is also similar. What does it mean to be educated? What skills do we need? Um, and what skills do we not need anymore? Um, and uh, and so in that regard, I think it is like a uh, like another technological advance. Um, it just came onto the scene very very quickly and with lots of immediate implications for um, for education and particularly around uh, honesty and integrity um, and authenticity. So in that regard, I think that it, there are a lot of things that are similar, but there are also some inherent differences and it's just gotten savvier and savvier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, a lot of those things all have enabled us to do things so much faster. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I actually tried to take a CPA exam one time with a pencil and no calculator was allowed. So um, that was a painful process. Um, so the the efficiency, you know, in that, but there are some comments in the chat about should we have people use blue books and pencils uh, to, to do work, you know, so that you really know it is authentic. Um, you know, things we talked about, um, you know, in, in this past hour was <clears throat> were the unintended consequences you know, I think about social media when social media first, you know, came on the scene about 20 years ago. And this is great. And I remember specifically um, in a class I was taking, someone said, you know, the shy kid in the back who would never raise, you know, his or her hand to ask a teacher a question can now ask a teacher a question. So it definitely had its benefits. But we don't, we don't have to sit here for more than two seconds to talk about the harm of social media and what's happened through the use of social media, the loss of interpersonal skills, the loss of, of, the, the, uh, of being able to, to navigate one's authentic self in a social scene. The, the law, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. And so when I think about um, the use of artificial intelligence and <clears throat> how it does more and more and more, I can only think about what one of the students said the day that they realized that chat GPT was an app that they could utilize. And that comment from a student was, oh, great. Now, you know, our generation, not only are we not going to be able to talk to each other, but we're going to be stupid. (laughs) And I don't like the word stupid, but what they meant was we don't even have to think anymore. Hmm. And so, you know, our ability to think, our ability to create, our ability to, you know, to navigate through, through writing our thoughts, through, you know, getting over hurdles through, you know, um, all of it. We're taking it away from them because we're allowing artificial intelligence to do it for them. And I think that that um, is one of, again, the potential harms. There are definitely benefits. And yes, you know, humanity is moving forward. But the risk Mm. is to to what end? And that's, I think, what we as educators are really responsible to be thinking about in terms of um, how we prepare our students and what we prepare them for. And again, who they will be as human beings. So I think there was that- a, I was just going to say there's another question about, because I know we have to close down in a couple of minutes, but there was a question about data, you know, student data privacy as well. So to your point of what you were saying, um, Colin, about um, everything you put in, it remembers and it knows. So, you know, if students have put in all of their work, you know, from school, um, it will be all in there. What kind of protections are there against somebody using any work uh, that you put in there? Mm-hmm. That's a very real concern. Mm-hmm. Ariel, you were going to say? You know, big data is probably one of the biggest ethical concerns and ethical issues that face us today as a society. Um, All the data that is collected has been collected and will continue to be collected and um, what the use of that is going to be. And let me just mention one more little thing about uh, what the students were saying. Again, the student as one of the main stakeholders. You know, the GPS is something that we all use, right? These students, they don't know how to go from point A to point B without the GPS. Mm -hmm. And actually said to me, so before the GPS, how did you get anywhere? Maps. Now, we're not going to go back to maps, but I wonder, you know, if you put a kid in X place and said, okay, now you have to go from here to there, 
They wouldn't know how to get from here to there. And they've said that because they, mm -hmm. we've become so dependent. Even I've become dependent. I get mm -hmm. so upset when my GPS isn't working and I can't figure out which way to take home, the shortest way. Um, so, you know, we don't think about it. It's the little drops of water that wear right. away the rock. And so as we continue to add all of these types of artificial intelligence, which are, again, a, a, a means of utility for us to make our lives more efficient, to make our lives easier, what are, else are we doing in the process? And that's mm -hmm. the big ethical question. Yeah. And the other thing <coughs> important is to lean in on what informed use means. So informed use by the teacher, like, am I well versed in how this AI technology that I'm using is being used so that I, you know, I'm in subjecting my students to this and saying that it's important? Mm -hmm. Do I actually know how it functions? It's going to take more work for me to know how an AI tool functions than a calculator. Mm -hmm. So there's going to need to be a lot of for educators. Then there's the informed use right. for the students. Like they should be taking engineering classes to understand how AI is built mm -hmm. so that they can see its benefits and its limitations. But then I think there's also that responsibility placed on the people producing and creating the AI tools themselves. Like we talk about how there's um, informed consent around how the companies use our data on social media. You read through that long list of things of here's how we're acceptably going to use your data, but like who reads that? So right. I think that there needs to be more accountability and thinking through how we can ethically hold companies accountable for how they are communicating their use of our data and where their where their intentions lie. Like why did you produce this? This is we're gonna be upfront about it and this is how it's gonna mm -hmm. be used. And here's our ethical commitments because you have to talk about all stakeholders. It can't just be the users of technology that are trying to be ethical. It needs to also be the producers. That's a great point. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. And I think just from the chat, we can see how um, there are so many questions. There's so many issues. Um, so we're thrilled to host it. And I hope we'll continue and have you all come back again soon to do a follow-up. Um, Dr. Rizak or Dr. Galambos, do you want to talk a little bit more about um, how people in the audience can reach out and learn more about the Ethics Institute and some of the things you have available? Absolutely. I'll let Dr. Rizak do that. So um, a lot of, of what we do here, what we've produced is available to you in your school. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at ethics at kemplace.org. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And um, we'd be happy to talk with you and to engage with you. We've established learning communities around a variety of issues, and we'd be happy to involve you in this learning community as well. So reach out to us, either myself or Ms. Sykes and Dr. Galambos, and we're happy to, our vision, of course, is to have the whole world think ethically. And so we would be happy to have you join us in achieving that vision. And I just want to thank you all. I mean, really, just having been a student at Kent Place School so many years ago, I'm not going to say how many years, um, but and to be to see the work that you're doing now, I'm just so proud of the school and so happy that we can host these conversations. So Dr. Columbus is school head, Dr. Rizak is head of the program, Ariel is the assistant director, and Dr. Potts as the advisor on this. Thank you all so much. I hope you enjoyed it. And we're going to get you a copy of this chat because you're really going to want to read through all of the comments that have happened throughout the conversation. Thank you for Thank hosting you. us. Thank you.
All right. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Another shout out for part two. Okay, great. Um, so again, thank you all for being here. We really love to be able to host this. And thank you for coming from all over the world. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.